destino para ti lo que viniera de ti. Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 27 for Sunday, November 3rd, 2013. I'm Nelson DeWitt. On October 23rd, my mother and I did a joint event at Wells College. I got to show the first eight minutes of the film, and she read from her book, Missing Mila, Finding Family. It's probably one of the most memorable events that we've done together, so I thought I would sit down with her and kind of talk about our reactions from that event. Let's jump right in. Today, my very special guest is Margaret Ward, my mother, and it's great to have you back on the podcast for another another round. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Today, we are going to talk about the event that we recently did at Wells College. You know, we talked offline about some of our reactions to the event, and I thought that would make a really good episode. So that's what we're going to cover today. But why don't we start with... Uh, maybe you can explain to everyone what this event was and how it came together. Yeah, sure. Um, Your father, Tom DeWitt, took a job here for a two-year period as interim president. And when we first came here in the summer, I met one of the professors who's in the English department. He teaches creative writing, including nonfiction courses. And he right away, when he found out about my book, invited me to be a participant in a writer-in-residence series that they have um, throughout the year. So we decided on October, and um, as things developed, it was possible to have you come also. And, you know, we haven't done an event together for about a year, and it was really fun to have you here and to be able to show that uh, first eight minutes of the film and then have that followed by uh, some reading from from the book. And then the following day, I had a follow-up. I went to this Professor Bennett's um, class, his seminar on nonfiction. And there were about 20 students, and I got to know them a little bit. And they had a lot of questions also about my writing. And so it was a fun two-day two day event. And I know you and I, it meant a lot to us that the kind of reaction we got from the audience. So. I think that'll be interesting. Yeah. Why don't we get into it with uh, actually having you read some of the book? Because as I was in the audience, you know, after I had shown the film, which provides such a great introduction to the story, I, you know, was listening to you speak and read from the book. And there were these particular passages that stood out to me. And it, made me think about the discussion that I had with John a couple weeks ago about what's our mission, what's our purpose for being here. So Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be great if you could just read those passages and then we'll kind of talk about, um, you know, I'll share some of my reactions and then we can talk about the general reaction that everyone had there. Good. Um, I'll do that. I just wanted to say that for me too, as the author of the book, it is great when you can present that beginning of your film because it gives the audience, even those who are not familiar with the story, such a great introduction that then when I read from the book, I can choose some passages that wouldn't be possible to read unless you had that 
first <laughs> and I don't have to do a lot of explanation and it allows me to choose some parts of the book that are that are a little different from the the straight narrative so one of them that I chose for that evening uh, comes from the very beginning of the fourth chapter which is what I call the historical chapter where after having told our story I place in particular the, the story of your parents as revolutionaries in the Salvadoran Civil War in a larger historical context so beginning actually from their birth as it were in the 1950s um, and and try to, to trace that but at the beginning of the chapter I, I'm talking about why I'm doing this and I call this missing pieces at Boston August 2005 because this is when I was right beginning to write this and I'm going to start reading now. When we first met, Ava had posed the question, why did you choose Roberto from among all the available children? Our answer then, well, it didn't quite happen the way you might imagine, couldn't satisfy her justifiable curiosity. Added to the complexities of international adoption, our rather unusual experience seemed impossible to explain fully in 1997. Now I have decided not to wait to finish the book. I will give her and Toto each a copy of the first draft to take home with them, since chapter one holds all the explanation I can muster. Now chapter one is the chapter on our adoption story. It was as difficult for Nelson's biological family to comprehend why we had adopted this particular child as it was for us to understand what they were telling us about their experiences in the 1980s. At first, having nothing else to go on, we had simply accepted the storyline of the investigative report. But as soon as we met them, it became clear that there was much more to it. Although the core truth was certain, their missing Roberto was our Nelson, some of the specifics remained hazy. Beneath the unanimity occasioned by our reunion, we sensed there ran an undercurrent of disagreement among members of Nelson's birth family who shared neither the same experience of nor even the same perspective on the political turmoil of the 1970s and 80s. To our surprise, however, Luis, Mama Chila, and Mila's sisters all agreed on one thing. The dead woman pictured in the Honduran paper was not Ana Milagro. During that reunion week, we saw Luis cry while reading the investigative report. He was also eager to place his actions in a somewhat different light. The day after we arrived, he had taken Tom aside to talk in the street in front of Mama Chila's house while the women prepared a meal and the children kicked a soccer ball around the yard. Back in our hotel that evening, Tom recorded everything he could remember of this initial conversation for which Ava's boyfriend had provided simultaneous translation. Much of the information Luis offered us was confusing. Dramatic subplots suddenly took center stage, a nearly fatal shooting, power struggles within the revolutionary command structure, betrayals, murder, and suicide. Not only were there many more characters than we had suspected, but the actions spread across the Central American map and beyond. El Salvador and Honduras, of course, but also Nicaragua, <clears throat> Costa Rica, Panama, and Cuba. Luis later insisted in an interview I arranged with a colleague in the Spanish department when he attended Nelson's high school, school graduation in June 2000, quote, I want my story to be told. 
not just for Roberto, but for other young people, unquote. So that was, that was the passage that I read that I think you, you kind of keyed in on and had some thoughts about afterwards. Yeah, it, it, you know, it just reminded me of this discussion that John and I had. Well, the title of the podcast was What's Our Movement? And we kind of threw mm-hmm. around some ideas or talked about this notion of what do we want to accomplish with the film? And at the very end, we mentioned this phrasing that we came up for the advocate experience, which is giving voice to the voiceless. And it just struck me as you were reading that, that, you know, yes, this is exactly what we were talking about or or what that phrase embodies for myself, because I feel like my, my biological father is not in a place to share his story, you know, on the scale that hopefully we will be able to do with the film or that you have done with the, with the book. And, Mm -hmm. and in that context, we are giving him a voice again, you know, we're telling his Mm -hmm. story. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, listening to you say that it, it just reminded me of that conversation. And it was one of those moments where I thought, yes, this is why I'm doing this. You know, this is why I drove six hours to be here was, was <laughs> to, uh, to be that voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that. And I think that, that that's true. And it, when I was writing the book, I started, this was a question that came up in the class the next day, too. The students are very interested in, you know, is the whole structure there to begin with? I mean, do you really kind of know where you're going? And I said, you know, I started out writing this for the family, particularly for the children, telling our story. You know, those first three chapters, that was pretty easy. That was the way we had experienced it. Adoption, um, rediscovery, and then reu- the reunion. But because at the time of the reunion, as I point out at the beginning of this chapter, we began to hear their stories. We began to understand that that it was a lot deeper, there was a lot more, there was a lot more to understand. It, you know, it took me to a different place. And so the second part of the book does begin to do this this thing of giving voice to, to someone else's story, their stories, I call it. And so it it's secondhand and yet your your father Luis entrusted us with his story. We went down there in December 2004, and he he had this luncheon where he did this entire narrative of his life. He was that he was telling his story so that we would pass it on. It's the feeling I had, and so his story, while your mother is also a part of it, is is kind of the central red thread of that fourth chapter, and then in the fifth chapter where I talk more about her, imagining her. I Again, I have that feeling I'm trying to give a voice to someone who can't have a voice. You know, that to privilege your father's voice, to privilege all the voices of those who remain, isn't fair to her. I, you know, she needs to have, you know, this other sort of going, probing deeper through my own imagination in part you know, to give her a voice. So I, I I understand that. And I think then the the last chapter on the disappeared children is sort of the same. Uh, without appropriating other people's stories, as a narrator, I felt 
that they also deserve to have this North American audience that they weren't going to get when the, their stories were just published in El Salvador in Spanish. You know that that wasn't accessible enough to to people who maybe need to hear the stories. Yeah. So so yeah, I I think that does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that it's also it's providing a broader context for people beyond mm -hmm. just this story because if you you look at the story each of them are very sad in their own right and they're you know very dramatic but until you understand the larger context of the war and the history and everything that went on there it's hard to get the full ramification of of those stories mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i mean i've been thinking i was thinking about it this morning because i um, was reading an article in the new york times about um the refugee crisis in Syria now with the war and you know the millions of children who are being affected right now by what's going on in that civil war and you know you just think oh you know you have this huge picture you this general picture but you, you try to imagine the individual stories each individual story you know so there's this kind of balancing between the specific and the general which you have to struggle with in, in, in structuring your film as well it's the inv individual story that captures the imagination of the viewer and the listener but you need to have the the general story for it to have the impact again i hope i'm making sense to you yeah no i mean we had this conversation offline which is why i wanted to do this episode but where you have three chapters in the book to talk about the history, we have a couple of minutes. And you know how we talk about it and the imagery that we use to portray it, that's the hard part. That's the part that we have to work out, really. Yeah, and, and images are um, both extremely powerful and then you know, can be manipulated in a, in a, wet, in a manner that, yeah, it, you know, they always say, oh, a picture is worth a thousand words, but working with them, I can see it's, it's such a different genre, it's such a different way, and, and you have to be careful, you know, that, that um, I mean, I'm, you know, I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah. That you don't have the leeway that someone has who's writing a, <laughs> A longer, a longer book <laughs> um, that you can let a photograph stand for a whole, whole thing, but it's not as nuanced mm. as you can be when you, you know. But it can have a, a can have a, a even stronger impact. I think photographs often do; they become iconic. Right? Well, there's there's more of an emotional impact, and that's the difference between. The book and the film mm. it's not that the book isn't emotional it's just with the film you get to see it you get to see people's reactions whereas in right. the book you, you yeah. describe it more and you bring right. you have to build all this narrative to bring people into it right this was one thing I may be getting ahead, ahead of myself but it was one thing that came up in the discussion with the students they were very interested in you know how I felt about writing about myself and my family and you know I, I've talked about that before, but they also wanted to know uh, more about you and you know whether I thought that that was difficult for you to 
talk. And I said, well, if you look at the, when you see the film and Nelson is the narrator, there are these moments where you can see that, that something that he said has had just a, you know, an emotional impact in that moment where he has to pause because it's difficult. Um, but I said, I think that actually, you know, strengthens the whole thing because you can you can actually see that when you when you, you get a book in your hand, it, it makes it look like it was easy, <laughs> you know, to write this. And only at the moment in the in the event where Dad was in the back and said, "Oh, read this passage at the end of the book," and I said, "I can't read that aloud in public. It's you know, it'd be too difficult." Mm-hmm. Because it's, yeah. it's too too close, you know. Yeah, and on, you're right. In the film, you get to see that where the sort of emotion mm-hmm. overwhelms me a bit, you know. Exactly, exactly. And the professor was sitting there at the table. Some of the students had seen the film, some had not. And he said, "Oh yes, there. You know, you can actually see it. <laughs> you know." Mm. So, they, um, you know, they wanted to know whether it was difficult for you to you know, talk about this on film. And I said, well, I'm amazed that he can do it at all, but he can, but you can see that there are moments where, you know, they, he has to pause because he's dealing with that emotion. So they were they were interested in some of those aspects. And we talked a little bit also, even in that writing class, about the, the difference between doing film and doing, and doing a, you know, a book writing nonfiction that it's quite a different genre yeah was there anything else from that conversation that with the students that that stood out to you about you know I mean they asked about the writing process about the filming process was there any sort of other major themes that came up well they were they were less uh, because it was a writing class and because some of them hadn't been there the night before you know they were doing phonathons or they had some other thing that they weren't able to be. They had, uh, their professor had handed them the chapter on adoption and the prologue. But, you know, there was a lot of the book that they have not a clue about yet, although they're anxious to read it. Um, so they concentrated a lot on questions about um, how I wrote, you know. And he took the time, and I thought that was good, because when you come into somebody's class and you don't know anybody, it's a little strange. So he took the time that each of them introduced themselves to me and told me about what they're, they're majoring in, what writing interests them. And, and there was one student who then, when we were really into discussing and, and asking questions, who talked about you know, the anxiety of putting this out in front of the public which I'm sure at the moment that the film is is sort of, even this first part of the film is, is done and you're really putting it out there. You know, you're going to have these these moments of, oh my goodness, what have I done? You know, right. <laughs> Can I really do this? Um, you feel exposed. And she just really wanted to probe me on that. And she's working on, a, I don't know whether it's a thesis or something that, you know, it's a big project this semester. And I just kept reinforcing that you need to have trusted other people giving you feedback early on, which is what you and John have been doing, which is terrific. 
I mean, and, and you're taking that to a new level with your advocate, advocate program. But it, how important it is not to keep it all close to the chest. You get more used to the fact that you're, you know, you're going to get critique, you're going to get reaction, but you have to start with people who you, you know, you, you really trust. You trust they'll give, give you the truth, they'll tell you what they think. It might be negative, but, but it's the most helpful thing in writing is, is showing it to people, even when it's really preliminary. So, you know, I think it's been super that you, you and John have you know, have done that. You've shared some of the rough cuts with people that, you know, are real close to you and asked for response. And now as you're getting into more finished work on this first episode or whatever you call it, this first 45 minutes, you know, again, you're going to allow input. So that, that takes away some of the anxiety when, it, when you think, okay, now we sort of have a finished product and we're going to show it to the world. But that was something that, that these students, particularly this one student, was really interested in. To get back to the other evening, um, you know, there there were over a hundred people there, and I'm still hearing, you know, positive feedback. I mean, people were really moved. They were really excited by it and and interested, and um, you could kind of feel it. I don't know whether you had that feeling in in the room when when the film was being shown at the beginning well there was a little bit of laughter you know they now know mm -hmm. Tom as their interim president and there were students there you know they're getting to see photographs of him at a, you know earlier time in his life and 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 some of those things from your childhood are kind of cute you know mm -hmm. but there was also sort of a quiet kind of a stillness in the room did you notice that yeah i found that they were very engaged probably one yeah. of the most yeah i mean there was this sort of sense, sense of attentiveness okay mm -hmm. but and, when i was and really reading and when the film was being shown okay yeah and taking in every sort of detail whether it was yeah. an image from the film or uh you know a passage from your book or the answer to a question that they asked people really right. seemed to be yeah. honing in on on what we ha had to say and and sort of living with it, you know, like listening to it as opposed to just um, hearing the words and, and not really focusing on the meaning. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that was the sense I had too. I mean, I yeah. I was pretty wound up that night. It was hard for me to go to sleep because, you know, there, you just had this feeling, oh, th this really had an impact on the people in the in, in that space and and you could kind of sense it as it was happening. And, the, you know, the crowd was pretty interesting as well. I mean, you were talking with one lady who helped Salvadorans. Oh, yes. I mean, up. I knew that this part of Upper New York State was always kind of a hotbed of Quaker abolitionists way back in the 19th century. And there's still a lot of Quaker meeting, friends meetings in the little towns and villages around here. And I had found out that there was a... Um, Quaker meeting a group that has an ongoing relationship with a, a village and a community in Moratzan um, department in El Salvador. And they got wind of um, that we were doing this, and some of them came that evening. And I also talked with a woman who uh, 
her husband is a Presbyterian minister in a little village here, and during the Salvadoran Civil War, they had helped to bring an entire extended family, first beginning with three youths, and then they found out that the mother was a target, and they got her on this, well, she called it the Overground Railroad. I knew that there was this movement of being able to get uh, some of the Salvadoran refugees up to Canada, which is what they used to do with the Underground Railway. They got the slaves and they got them up to Lake Ontario, you know, and they got them on up to Canada from this part of New York State. And they had a kind of Underground Railway for Salvadorans during the Civil War because uh, the United States government was sending people back. And to meet this, it was, I don't want to say a little old lady, but, you know, she was sent and we still have contact with members of the family they come to see us and you know she told me about how many there were it started with you know a couple of young men and then there was the mother and then there were cousins and you know it was a whole family and babies and and they managed to get them all here and then on up into Canada and to safety and I thought that was really just extraordinary I was um, she obviously people who come with that particular kind of experience or interest or contact um, are going to be open but but in general I thought the, the audience was just you know very interested and I, a lot of people signed up to be on your newsletter email list and that's great yeah I think it was a, a, a very um, great it seems so overused but it, it was it was a great night and uh, it was wonderful to meet all those people. And, and I think someone from that same group came up and, and made a comment that she had heard about this. She knew about the war, but this really provided some, some deeper meaning. You know, she, mm -hmm. she understood more about what happened down there um, than mm -hmm. this, than she sort of had this, she had this understanding. She knew that there was a war, but this really kind of filled in the color and gave her broader perspective mm -hmm. on the issue. Well, I think that is a, a great place to end it, and we're running out of time as well, so I think... I know you got to keep me to, to about 20 minutes, so yeah. that's good. <laughs> well, so, this has been fun, as yeah. the other night was, and um, keep up the good work. I can hardly wait to, to do a joint appearance with you when we can have the whole film. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. So something to look forward to. Very much so. All right. Well, thank you for, for being here, and uh, I'm sure we'll do this again. Okay.